Howdy, friends. This is Annie Fonte, and you are listening to the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast. On each episode, I chat with a different guest and ask them to share their stories about what they were doing before they decided to redesign their life, what they're doing now, and how they navigated through the challenges and events in their life to get to where they are today. What realizations and transformations did they experience? What fears did they overcome? And ultimately, how did they create a life that they love? Good afternoon, everyone. Happy to be with you here at the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast today. I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to share with you today. My guest today is Leslie Tolan. And Leslie is an advanced grief recovery method, method specialist. She started out uh, with an undergrad in sociology and then um, advanced to a master's degree in counseling psychology. She has over 4,500 hours of clinical work as a psychotherapist, and she has spent 12 years in um, professional hospice work. So she has a lot of time and effort under her belt to share about a topic that we're going to talk about today, and that's grief. And it was, I don't know how long ago, Leslie, you can clear this up for us, but a mentor of yours introduced you to the, uh, the grief recovery method. And in 19, or 2019, you were certified as an advanced grief recovery specialist. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And I want to start with... Um, We'll get to the grief recovery method um, in a bit, but I really want to start the conversation today because we're talking about grief. What is the definition of grief? Because I think it's going to surprise people when we get a little further into our conversation, the things that fall into the bucket of grief. Hi, Annie. I am so honored to be with you today. So first, allow me to thank you genuinely for this conversation. So looking forward to being with you and your listeners. Thank you. And uh, you're welcome. And the subject of grief and loss is so close to my heart uh, after so many years of loss and being introduced to the grief recovery method and John James work, which is now not only national, but global has taught me some definitions that were new to me too in the last five years and learning to discuss and I speak about and coach my clients about grief. And some of those definitions are that grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss. And yet in our American culture, often what we do is not normal and not natural and in fact unhealthy. And later in our conversation, I would love to talk about the part that is unhealthy and some of the myths that are misinformation about how we treat grief. And another definition is that grief is a conflicting mass of emotions that we feel when any familiar pattern of behavior changes. And so this, to my surprise at first, is like looking at my life differently with a spotlight on change from five years back and thinking that even in the most decorative or celebratory moments of our life, we might still feel some grieving feelings. For instance, and I think I laughed with you about this when we first met, that I am in a second marriage later in life. 
for 13 years I've been with George and I loved my man. And when we were first together and moved in together after some time, I missed my private little one room condo, my studio condo, yep. because it was mine. And when my extra shoes were placed in the oven, which I never used, that's where I stored them. And I was used to my little way of being on my own. So we have, and yes, and love my husband today. So we have both the front of the hand, the back of the hand in every situation that honors change. Yeah. And so in an example, before I give a couple other uh, definitions of grief, supposing in with some of your listeners maybe there's a family who's moved from los angeles to new york because either mom or dad had this incredible offer of a better job and telling their young kids oh kids we're going to have a bigger home and we're going to have a pool and you're going to go to school with new friends and here are these young children grieving the loss of leaving their friendships behind and everything that was familiar to them for parents who think, oh, this is going to be so wonderful because we have more material wealth on the other side. No, there's loss in leaving what we have known right. and what's been familiar for us behind. Yeah, so, and some of the research that I was doing to get ready to have a chat with you today, uh, and I looked into the grief recovery method a little bit, not to any degree, it's to the extent that you've studied it and work with it, but they just they they say that there's 40 different types of grief. And so can you give us some examples? You just gave a, a very good one. But for example, it, it was interesting to me that one of the types of grief would be a vacation, holidays. Holidays doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, starting school, getting married, graduating, there can be grief around those events or activities in our life. Absolutely, yes. And when I am um, sharing in an interactive group or lecturing a group of attorneys or therapists, and we talk about the types of loss that we usually think of as grief, which are death or divorce or emotion mm -hmm. and nothing else. No, there are like 40 different kinds. So for we women with losses, oh my goodness, what if we've had fertility, infertility issues, or we've had a miscarriage, or we've had an abortion, or God forbid, we've had a stillborn child, or we've had a child who has been in our life for 20 years and then overdosed. Oh my goodness, there aren't words for these losses. Yep. And yet we think ordinarily, what is grief and what is it about? it's death or it's divorce and, and only those two come up Im immediately and so when we have a new home and we have a large new mortgage oh my goodness or we have a change in our um, synagogue or our church and leaving a community of people we knew and loved who loved us and making our way across country to a new community these are losses that are very deep and sometimes we don't consider what they are. And moving back to what we said earlier, Annie, about say a family's moving from Los Angeles to New York, or they're moving from LA to Crazy Woman, Wyoming, wherever they're moving to. If the parents take the children through each room in the house and remember what has happened in each room and say goodbye with sweetness and gentle emotion sharing and maybe tears, 
in each room and walking through that together, mm -hmm. that's a way to honor the loss and move forward in a way that is so much sweeter, if there can be sweet in a move for a child, than packing up quickly and having to leave and move. In circumstances, yeah. there's sometimes what they are, but saying goodbye in a way that's proper can be healing for the heart. Yeah, I think those tips are important because especially this time of year where kids are going off to college again or for the first time yes. and parents yes. may be coming empty nesters for the first time. And yes. because the family's gotten smaller, they may be moving from a bigger home to a smaller home and different neighbors around them and those kinds of things. So I don't think we've oftentimes in especially like we said earlier in our culture that we don't we don't stop and think about the impact of what seemingly sounds like a relatively normal thing on the pathway through life but those are really turning points where we don't give enough credit to the emotions we go through around those transitions in our lives and that can be that that can have a carry forward effect too Absolutely, Annie. And with what we're walking through collectively now with COVID and have walked through collectively for the last year and a half, some of these pains of loss are intangible. They're intangible. We have lost life. We've lost safety. We've lost trust in our government. Some of us have in the last year. We have parents who have been needing to be at home who were sending their children to school and during COVID and the shutdown and being isolated have needed to become not only spouses and work with each other to raise their children, but needing to become teachers overnight to do lesson plans and be at home away from work where they were usually with the community at work. It's been a very rough time for all of us. And I think, even, yeah, I, I appreciate that so much. And I think even, even the smaller things that we don't consider that our children of any age weren't with their pals and yes. they, now they're going back and it looks largely that they're going to be required, many of them to wear masks. So they can't even see the expression of their pals and they can't see the expression of their teachers and they, I don't know. I, I hope they're not being required to sit six feet apart from one another because I think they need to mingle and hug and play and all those kinds of things. Yeah. And these kids don't have the resources to understand their their feelings is because on a certain degree, they're grieving a loss of that kind of communication socialization with one another. Yes. Amen. You are so, so right on. And in that um, sharing, Annie, it brings me to another definition of grief, which is that grief is reaching out for someone, say a friend of a young kid in school, who's always been there for us. And one more time when we need them to be there for us, they're no longer there, yeah. maybe because they've moved across country. Or as an adult, reaching out for someone, maybe a parent from whom we're estranged, whom we've wanted to be there for us, and who's never been there for us. And one more time when we're in some kind of grieving moment, and we'd like them to be there for us, they're no longer there either. Right. So grief takes many, many positions of 
disarray in our hearts and minds that normally we don't consider. And so. Yeah. And as I said a minute ago, there's this, at least I would think there's this layering on effect. So we have what I would identify as incomplete grief because yes. we didn't know to, to identify it as a grief event or moment in the first place. And so whether it's consciously or unconsciously, we are told in time things will be better or suck it up or okay enough already. You've, you've been sad and teary about this long enough. Those are kind of culturally things in our society that I've, I've even heard myself. So what is the challenge with ongoing challenge when we don't spend the time to deal with the grief we've had in our lives? What can be some so of the fallout of that? I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, what can be the fallout of not knowing that we needed to get complete with some of our grief as we move forward and then more grief comes at us because every one of us are going to experience grief of some sort at some point in yes. our lives. Yes. Oh, Annie, I so like the way that you're asking the questions of me. I have found that what so with each of my clients and I work in my choice with my private practice, I work individually with my clients that there is um, the loss that happens that is cumulative in our lifetime. So if I can make an analogy to as infants, if we're born with a little baby backpack on our back, and as we grow and we experience losses, maybe among many of us, our first loss might be a family pet. And if we, the size of that hurt of that loss might be a pebble or a golf ball or a boulder and it gets thrown into our backpack because we never talked about the lost hopes and dreams and expectations of what we're missing when that loss happened. And as we grow, that backpack grows with the size of our stature. And finally, because loss is cumulative and it's cumulatively negative when we don't speak of it, that backpack finally bursts and we have outbursts. And if we don't know how to express our emotion, what happens is we might lean on something that is truly unhealthy for us. That might be drugs, alcohol, retail shopping till we put ourselves in debt, gambling, reaching out for the wrong partner or spouse, having sex with the wrong people, what, exercise until we hurt ourselves. Whatever we do in a short-term relieving behavior to calm our loss, that can become unhealthy and addictive is a problem in our culture. Yeah, and, and I, alone. Go ahead. I would think that one of the one of the areas that we could all our listeners and you and I can can see where this might be a challenge is with divorce. There's a grief yes. around divorce. And if yes. one divorces and they don't manage that grief from that divorce, and then they go out and partner up again with another person that may or may not also be divorced and have their own grief that they may or may not have dealt with. And then you decide to unite as a couple of again, boy, can that be a train wreck if it's, yes. if it's not yes. managed well? <laughs> yes. Oh, Annie, you're so right on. And so that is why uh, my husband happens to be a family law attorney. And so the divorce rate is over the top mm -hmm. and has increased during COVID. 
for people needing to be with each other who don't know how to communicate with each other. And the divorce rate is up. The grieving alone is up. Our suicide rate, according to the statistics from the Grief Recovery Institute to we specialists across the nation and the globe, are that tragically in the last year, suicide is up 30%. Mm. It's just so sad. Yep. And in choosing mates, which is part of some of the myths I wanted to speak to, uh, sometimes someone might say, if you've broken up with your love, Anna, you're beautiful. Don't feel bad. Just get back on a dating site. You're going to meet some great guy. You'll wait and see. You'll, you'll mm -hmm. see. The partner is there for you. Don't, don't, feel, don't feel sad. Dry your tears. Go out and just wait. He's there. She's there. Whomever. Fast backward to laugh with you at myself before I was in my own therapy and recovery from being the child in an alcoholic family. I, in my 30s, before my recovery with 12-step programs and therapy, when I was in a, if I could have been in a room with 500 men and 499 were single and available and wanted a committed relationship with a lovely woman and one was a raging alcoholic player, and you blindfolded Leslie, she would find him. Yep. So the living example of that was, I was in my early thirties and with a girlfriend who I wanted to meet my next guy in San Francisco years back. And she was facing the door where he would enter. Bruce was his name and she had never met him. And I said, Kath, you just said that he's walking through the door. How do you know that? She said, sweetheart, he looks exactly like the last one. He's got the same hair, the same body frame, the same bravado. So it must be him. And she was right, because yeah. that was my pattern. Yeah. Was it healthy for me? Of course not. Until I could have therapy to find out how to behave differently and communicate differently. So I would attract a healthier man to me. That's good. This yeah, is true that's for so many of us in different ways. You mentioned in your uh comments just now, the myths of grief. Can you go through what the myths around grief are for our audience yes. here? Because I think that's important yes. for us to know and understand. I, I would love to do that. And I'm sure that each of your listeners, when we're discussing these, Annie, have walked through some experience in their own life where some of this has prevailed. And so the first would be what I mentioned a moment ago, which is don't feel bad and replace the loss. And an example that I can give you in my youngest years is that when I was a little girl, I have two older brothers, so they're in their boys' room. I'm two years old and I, my best friend is our collie dog, Tuffy. Black and white Cocker Spaniel sat beside my little bed for four years until he was killed by the neighbor's car. And I was absolutely devastated. My dad was on the road. He came home from a sales trip saw my tears and said, baby girl, don't feel bad, dry your tears. It's an intellectual comment to an emotional moment for his little girl. On Saturday, we're gonna go and buy you a new dog. We're gonna go to the pound and bring home a new dog. And they did, Rusty, a little terrier. Do you think I ever bonded with this new dog? No, no. of course not. My heart was broken about my little Tuffy. And how many times in each of our lives, whether it's been a pet, 
where it's been a relationship that we've had that's broken up, has someone said to, or it's been the loss of a loved one, where someone has not known what to say because they were never trained in what to say, and their parents never trained them in what to say. And perhaps a loss happened, and a friend said to us, oh, Annie, don't feel badly. She's out of pain. She's in a better place, whomever that she is. And your heart's broken with the loss of a friend, and you're aching, and someone says something intellectual because they don't know what the hell to say. Yeah, and that's the disconnect. Yeah, that's the disconnect because you can't heal heartbreak with intellectual thinking. Your mind can't heal it. And so uh, I I think that's my understanding, once again, in some of the research that I've done, that that's what sets the grief recovery method apart from other traditional support um, tools and resources out there. But I want to stay on track with our myths, and we'll get to that in a second. So don't feel bad. Don't feel bad comment from people's one. Yes, don't feel bad. And the second would be replace the loss. Another is... A third one is how many times have any of your listeners had a loss happen? It may be in a family of origin and someone said, Susie, listen, dry your tears. You need to be strong for your little brother and your little sister. I know that Auntie Marion died, but you need to be strong. Just forget your emotion for the moment. You need to be strong for everybody else in the family. This is coming from someone who's being intellectual about a loss and wants us to button up, erase our emotion because they're uncomfortable with the emotion and dry our tears and show a different mode of emotion in the moment of our heartbreak. And John James, who wrote The Grief Recovery Method was his partner, the beloved late John James said, grievers are not broken. We, who all, we each are grievers, we're brokenhearted in the moment, and we need compassion and love and support. We do not need to be engaged with critique or criticism or comparing our loss to anyone else. We just need arms around us, literally or figuratively, with people who can say, I am so sorry for your loss. Mm -hmm. What can I do? Let me be there for you. Yes. So moving on, Um, be strong for others. Another is we are so excellent as grievers in grieving alone. How many times when any of us and any of you listeners have had a loss, whatever that loss might be, and someone maybe has wanted to comfort you, but because your training from your own parents or family was about be strong, go to your own, cry, be alone come back when you're all right, when you've got it together, when you are strong and okay. It's BS. We don't need to grieve alone because the antidote to grieving is participation, Mm -hmm. community, support, love, compassion, understanding. And so often grieving alone is so what people do when they are in grief. I think I shared with you, Annie, when we first met that one day each week, I work at a detox facility and speak with our clients there about grief, the principles of grief and loss. I can't walk them through my eight-week program because they're not there that long, but I can speak about the myths 
I can speak about the definitions and I can see how their minds are working to begin to think about their own addiction to meth or heroin or weed or alcohol or whatever it is in a different way. Yes. And it's a pleasure just to see their minds opening up because each of those addictions are ways to cope with loss. And yeah. normally we do that on our own. We yeah. grieve alone with such an addiction. Yeah. So grieve alone is the fourth one. Okay. The fifth is um, keep busy. Oh my goodness. How many times listeners have you had someone say to you, oh, you've had a breakup. You know what? You're going to get over it. Just, just get another job. Lily, just get another job. You're working nine to five. You don't have to think about breaking up with John. Go and get a, a seven to 11 at night and get that extra work happening so you don't have to think about it. I've heard this spoken so many times from my clients who've been on a maze of activity to attempt with the activity to cover over the heartbreak. Yep. Does it work? No, no, it just delays the grieving process. Yes. And the final one, which is one of my favorites, because when I say favorite, I say that facetiously, because it's so insane, is people will say to us when we're having a loss, oh, just give it time. Yeah. Time will take care of it, Annie. And I say, really? Well, let me ask you this. And I often will say this when I'm lecturing to a group. Hold up your hands if you've had a loss in the last five years that still is on your heart and when you think of this person you've lost you have searing pain in your heart you don't have to hold up your hand if you don't want to but just think about it and think about if you've had this pain for five years 10 years 15 years 20 years and many for 20 say yes and i say if time were the agent of change of grief and healing then that would not be so and the analogy that I like to make that's just practical is if Annie and Leslie are going to a concert and we're on the freeway and we have a blowout in our tire and now we're in the emergency lane, are we going to wait until air blows itself back into that tire? Are we going to be on a AAA in two seconds saying, get the heck over here. We have an emergency situation. I need your help. So time is not it. What is it? It's the action that we take within time that heals our heart. That's why your research into the evidence-based practice that we who are specialists are so proud to offer with the grief recovery method. It is the only evidence-based practice that's offered in the U.S. And then that evidence, what was shown with adults walking through eight weeks of this program, reading our book and taking action steps and homework, is that they had significant changes in their knowledge of, their attitudes about their beliefs and ultimately their behaviors about grief because you and I both know that it's our individual belief systems that guide our behaviors and when those beliefs are changed so does our behavior change and I think the a more traditional grief support construct if you will that probably more of our listeners are familiar with than what we're talking about with the grief recovery method would be Dr. Kubler-Ross's, she had the five stages of death and dying, right? So it was denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And I, I'm not so sure that grief is about stages. And so I, I'm curious as to how your 
grief recovery method differs from these traditional grief support resources that have been out there in the world for a while. And I know grief recovery method's been around, John started it 43 years ago, so it's been around a while, but I don't think it's gotten the, the um, traction that some of these other concepts or authors have gotten over the years. Yes. I, I, Annie, your questions are so right on. I so am appreciative of each one. Yeah. And I want to speak specifically to Elizabeth's work. Elizabeth Ross and John James were friends. And Elizabeth Kubler Ross is dear to me because in my 12 years of hospice work, what's so is that each client who's given an, a, a terminal diagnosis is, and her work was meant for terminally diagnosed clients, right. patients, um, that they would go through and not necessarily in that order, yeah. those stages of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and ultimately acceptance in their grief process about being told that their life is about ready to end. Mm -hmm. And for the goodness of her stages, which were all applicable to anyone who is terminally diagnosed. Um, sometimes people would come on our program and they were grieving alone. Then they were told they had a diagnosis. Then they came to hospice and then they were surrounded by community of a nurse, a social worker, a volunteer, the certified nursing assistant, the medical director. And guess what? Instead of six months, they might've lived for a year because they had so much love around them that prior to their admittance to hospice, they did not. Regardless of the time they were on our service, they would go through those particular stages and they were all applicable, not necessarily in that order, but they would. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, for we who are grievers, when we have a loss, these stages do not apply in the same way. Mm -hmm. And people might experience anger that their loved one is dying too soon or whatever the reasons are of course depression of course might want to bargain with god or the spirit or whomever so please let them live please let them get out of this whatever but has there ever been a denial in my experience with my clients that someone has passed never yeah. it's a fact it happened it's mm -hmm. a death it's a final relationship ending so in the ways that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross meant this for her hospice patients, we who are standing beside someone who's grieving a loss do not necessarily see our clients walk through these same stages. That's the yeah. difference. And I think too, it seems like, and these, these other support systems out there, I think are all well-intended, no doubt. They wanna help people get through tough times in their lives. But I think we can get talked into a stage or a category of grief when we may not, because everybody grieves differently. Y'all grieve differently than you and the next person, the next person, we're all so unique. And I, I think that sometimes giving, once again, our culture, like we were talking about earlier, give it time, get busy. We, we're given these well-intended you know, points of advice from people, but I, I don't think it's necessary nor useful to a great degree to want to fit into a stage or a category. I think we, I think giving ourselves permission to be aware of our emotions and deal, deal with them, how we 
feel best to deal with them is the important thing. Exactly. I, I concur um, completely. And yes, walking through a program step-by-step that teaches us how to process loss, which is all the grief recovery method is. It's a experiential process that teaches each client with, in fact, Annie, um, kindly give me a second. Just so that your listeners can see it. This is the grief recovery handbook that I send to each of my clients, wherever they are, that we utilize so that they can have the experience of walking through these steps. And John wrote this years back so that if someone was in rural America or anywhere in the globe now, they could walk through this program on their own. Why that's so difficult is this program will bring up, it's a simple program, is it easy? In some weeks not, because it's bringing up hurt and heartache from the past that really is the best when it is presented to an emotional Sherpa, a specialist who's trained in how to be beside, stand beside a client walking through grief and loss and walking through these steps that teach anyone how to process pain. So that the ultimate goal of this program is that we work on one loss at a time. And if someone, many of my clients stay on to work on other losses because they discover during the time they're grieving the current loss, that there's some past losses that have happened that they also want to work on. However, if they stayed with me for eight weeks and worked on one loss, they now have a lifetime toolbox, an emotional toolbox that they've learned on how to process pain. And that's such an inexplicable gift. So it is not, this is not therapy. I'm trained, yes, as a psychotherapist. However, I chose to be trained first as a specialist and then go back for advanced training so that I can work across states and internationally as I do. And this is an educating process that teaches people how to process loss. Yes, and thanks for sharing the book. I'll make sure we put that in the show notes, a link to the the, uh, handbook and also your website, the grief recovery website. I'm curious if one goes and orders um, the manual or the, the workbook, could one go th- read it and go through it themselves and benefit? Or is it important to have either a grief, grief partner or a, a mentor slash coach like yourself? They could absolutely go through the book on their own. And what I have heard from some of my clients in the last years is some people come to me after they've attempted to do that and have just simply honestly said with transparency, I can't do this on my own. It's too mm-hmm. difficult. I need someone to keep me uh, walking forward with what comes up for me emotionally and to stand beside me and be a guide. And the fact is, could they do it on their own to answer your excellent question? Absolutely, they could. Would it be the same? I, do, I don't believe it would be because the guidance of what we as specialists are trained in about grief and loss is making us experts in what we can give as gifts in every session of feedback about wherever the client is and processing his or her broken heart. 
And yeah. I think that value has been stated so many times over to me that, in fact, Annie, if I think we shared this when we first met, but there's a story I'd like to share about a past yeah. client. But this yeah. is, <clears throat> I had a uh, <clears throat> an opportunity, excuse my voice, to, to work with a wonderful lady whom I'll call Beth across country. She was a psychotherapist herself and she had had the loss of her beloved son, her eldest son, five years before. And a second son who's challenged and is working on his challenges every day with bipolar disorder. And a mom who passed 20 years back in a home fire. Mm -hmm. She came to me originally because she was so in grief about the passing of her son that she could no longer hold space for her own clientele and gave up her private practice. Mm -hmm. We worked together first on that beloved son's loss and six or seven weeks into our process of our eight week program, she said, when the Zoom opened, she said, Leslie, I have a message for you from my husband. I said, sure, what is that? She said, he said, tell that lady, thank you. Mm -hmm. I have my wife back. Nice. And I've seen her smile for the first time, truly in five years and heard her laugh. And I was choked up because I know that I know how this program is transformative. And I know that I've shared with you that my own personal purpose as a specialist is that I share, inspire and witness personal transformation. That is my purpose in my life. And that is what happens with each client in some way or other. But to have that happen with her was such a joy. And then she chose to stay on and work on her complex relationship with her son, who has bipolar, and on the loss of her mama from years before. And that goes back to saying grief is cumulative and cumulatively negative. Mm. And she was carrying all that with her for so many years. And she said she felt like she lost a, the weight of a baby elephant on her chest and on her heart at the end of our time together. Yes. It's so rewarding, Annie. Yeah, it I it has to be. I'm curious, you know, other than what you've learned about yourself by um, the work you've done as far as studying and, and being a psychotherapist for so many years and your work in hospice, what have you learned about yourself by going through the grief recovery method certification? So... Uh, first, allow me just to clear one thing up because I'm always transparent about my long work experience. Although I'm trained as a psychotherapist, I chose not to be licensed as one because okay. what I wanted was the freedom to work across states without any restriction. And so I uh, market myself and I am a advanced grief recovery method specialist with my master's in counseling. However, I'm not a psychotherapist, albeit I love that I had that training. Okay. So just to be clear on that and what, and it's perfect yet again that you're asking me this question because these steps of recovery from a loss are so in my DNA today that I will just be transparent and share with you that in the last two weeks, I have had three personal losses mm. and have worked these steps on the first and on the second two, the details of which I'll leave out of today's discussion. But on those two, 
I know that this weekend I'm committed from knowing what I teach to work on those steps on my own for each of these other two losses. And because I know what I know about how to process my own grief, I can be here with you, be excited to share with your listeners and not be in such a rut of my own loss that I can't function because mm -hmm. I've learned how to process my own losses. And my only regret in this incredible method is that someone did not introduce me to John James 30 years ago. Yeah, that's really all the losses, Annie. Yeah, that's really powerful. And so I'm curious if you could share an exercise with our listeners, because when I listen to you talk, it gives me hope. And I'm sure <laughs> our audience feels the same way. There's people out there who have experienced loss in their lives, and maybe it's as recent as yourself two weeks ago, or maybe even today something happened, that are they're looking for some support. They're looking for some help. They're looking to feel better. So can we go through steps of an exercise that you think that would be valuable to share so these folks can either have them in their toolbox when they need them, or they can start to implement them right away to help themselves over a rough patch? So I love your question. And I would say that if anyone is moved to listen more closely to their own heart about their own loss, it would be an honor to have a consultation with them about this process. And that what we've discussed in this hour together, which is, which are some of the first steps in reading this book and listening to the myths, if any of your listeners have written them down, those myths are one of the first exercises that I walk through with each of my clients to just look back in their history and see how some of these myths have affected their processing of certain losses because the people who are authoritarian figures in their own lives threw at them some misinformation, which the myths are, mm -hmm. about how to grieve instead of allowing them to feel their emotions and get real with how they were walking through a heartbreak. So if the exercise would be taken seriously, if anyone is listening and wants to walk through it and they just have written down, don't feel bad, replace the loss, be strong for others, grieve alone, keep busy, just give it time. And there's a expression of Academy Award recovery that I present to each of my clients and ask them, has anybody asked you to present this? And usually the answer is yes. So for instance, being in the hallway at work and someone says, so Annie, how are you? I'm fine. And you've just had a broken heart the day before with a sweetheart or someone died in your family. I'm fine. And I smile and say to my client, in my world of grief recovery and my knowledge, fine means feelings inside not or never expressed yeah. again and again and again. And how many times are we in a hallway at work and someone will say, how are you? And they're walking down and continuing to walk down the hall, not even listening to your response. So, yeah. so many times we put on Academy Award recovery to say, I'm okay. 
without wanting to face what is really happening in our heart. So those are two of the exercises people might begin to just ponder. And the exercises that are in depth, that are a part of this process, there we go, are what I teach in, in the program. Got it. So same, same value that we could pass along to our listeners. I think oftentimes when someone we know and or care about does have a loss of some sort, we don't know what to say to them. We don't know how to be around them. We don't know what to do. What's your advice to the person who is approaching or going to be in communication with a griever so that they can um, not be, don't feel bad, replace the loss, do you need to be strong, you know, go grieve alone, not say those things or come from that place. What's, what's a better space for them to hold for a grieving person and to, to do, to, to be supportive of that person? They can pick up the phone and say, Annie, hi, sweetheart, it's Leslie. Do you know, I can you, you can talk for just a moment? Great. I want you to know that I just heard only today about your loss from a few weeks ago. And I'm imagining that maybe you've needed some alone time or I don't know. What I want you to know is right in this moment, I don't even know, Annie, what to say. I just wanted to call you and tell you I love you and I'm here for you. And I don't even have the right words. I'm just here. What can I do? Can I do anything? And then be quiet and listen to that answer. Because what I would think that many of your listeners have experienced anytime they might have had a loss is wondering why so-and-so ghosted them after the loss. Yes. And the reason why that person ghosted them is they didn't know what to say. They no. didn't know what to do. And in that embarrassment for themselves, instead of having that tender conversation that I just modeled, they backed off and said nothing because they didn't know how to do it. Here's an example. When I, and we might've shared this when we first met, when I was 18, my dance teacher died from my early childhood, from the time I was eight till I was 15, I adored her. And when mama told me two years after her death that she had passed, I was heartbroken again and furious. Why didn't you tell me, mom? Same was true, not having the words, not knowing what to say. And that's what I experienced about that loss, which made it even more complex and horrible in the moment that I found out because I would have loved at the time to have gone to her sculptor husband, thrown my arms around Max and said, oh, Max, I'm so sorry. I loved your wife. I'm great. The, any grace I have today is the woman I owe to Fanya. Just to have that moment to be that way with him in a timely manner. But guess what? Mama was raised by an immigrant woman who didn't know how to spell the word feeling, let alone express one. Yes, And so that's many of our experiences in our families of origin. People don't mean to be harming us. They don't know what to say. Right. And I, I'm guessing it's, it's equally as important to listening is such a, such a skill that many of us haven't mastered yet. But in listening to a grieving person, 
at least for me, I would think the last thing that I would want to do, and I've, I've experienced this myself when I've gone through loss, people will come and say, I know exactly what you're feeling. And I myself, because they identify themselves as an empath. And for me, this is just me. So I'd be interested in what you have to say about this. I think it's arrogant to think that I can feel like someone else is feeling about any kind of loss or challenge they're having in their lives. And so I, 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 what I like to do is I'm here to listen and then listen because there is no way on earth I know exactly what they're going through. Yes, no, maybe. Amen, Annie, <laughs> amen. You are wise, you are intuitive and you are right on in my experience, my training and what I teach. No one knows how each of us feels. All they know is how they felt at the time of their loss right. and putting their emotion on us at a time of our grief is arrogant. Yeah. And it might be just with good intent, right. but it is not the place to go to. All they can be, and my suggestion for them to be, is what I model as a specialist with my clients, which is to be a heart with ears, which is to know that the reason spirit or the cosmos or God or whomever we believe gave us our life, gave us two of these, and one of these is for a good reason. Right. It's yeah. to listen with our heart and many times be quiet and say, I don't know what you are feeling right now. I just want you to know I'm here. We don't have to talk. No. I just want to help you in any way I can. Yeah. How can I be here for you? Yeah. That's what a griever needs. Yeah, I, I think it, it's unfortunate in our culture, and I don't, I don't know that this exists in all cultures. I know, for instance, in India, that the whole death process is such a ritualistic, it's an honor to, you know, and there's a whole week-long process that they go through. But in our culture, it's almost taboo to have the conversation around it. And I think one of the things I, I would like perception change or just a, how we look at death is it's really a rebirth because it's a transition into who knows what, but it's a rebirth instead of an ending. And I think we've been taught in our culture that death is scary and it's something to be afraid of and it happens when you get sick or when you get in an accident and then it's a black hole after that. We don't know what exists beyond this versus I, I've gotten really comfortable with knowing that, as you say, whether it's source, God, universe, the force has a, this really divine plan set out for me. And all I have to do is trust that. And when God, that's, that's my person, my go-to guy is ready to have me as an angel beside him in heaven then he's going to make that happen. And so there's exactly. nothing to fear, right? It's just a rebirth into, I, I, now, I, now I've been elevated to a, an even better existence than I had in this earthly life. He called me up. He has a job for me to do up there. That's going to be great. It's going to be something to look forward to. So I think the conversation we can start to have around it is, to clear up some of the myths as you've talked about the grieving process and also 
the meaning we choose to give to this, or even the, the, how we articulate it from a verbal standpoint, what we call it can start to take some of the um, pain and uncertainty and fear around it away. Yes, I so am with you, Annie, in all of your speaking about that transition. And for me, as it happens, it is the God of my own understanding. And if what is going to be a loss for the earth is going to be heaven's gain because I'm a greeter at the gate, well, then so be it. Yeah. And that's just my personal belief. However, what I have found through my hospice work and through yeah. losing all the aunts and uncles in both sides of my dad and mom's family is those who had a spiritual belief of whatever kind, it didn't matter what it was, if it was Moses, Jesus, Buddha, a tree, whatever that was on the other side, had an easier passing from this lifetime to that other side. And those who felt that what there is on the other side is an abyss into which you're dropping, or they were dropping, had a more difficult time in letting go. Yeah. That was just my, my experience time and again. It's interesting so, you bring that up because mm -hmm. I have followed for a couple of years now, this fellow, his name is Dr. Zach Bush, and he has, he's a three different board certifications. He started it out in um, endocrinology, went to internal medicine, now most recently palliative care and hospice. And when he was practicing in the hospital, you know, as, as they do, they get these code calls. And so the doctors rush to the patient who's basically had a heart cardiac arrest and they inject whatever injections they use to bring, revive people and they get the paddles out and the CPR and all those kinds of things. And he said he had the experience on three different occasions to actually revive these folks. And he, he indicates that only 6% of people who go through that in the hospital ever survive. 94% just don't make it. And he says, the interesting thing about these three different people that he had this experience with, and they were as different as night and day from each other. He said, when they came to and the dust settled from going through this event, they all asked me the same question. And they said the same thing to their families when they were recounting what their experience was. And he said, the question they asked me was, why did you bring me back? Yeah, and he so said the, the recount to their families, which is fairly typical of what we've heard or read, I think is I saw this, they're explaining this to their families. I saw this bright white light and it was just so loving and it just so embracing. And for the first time in my life, I felt totally accepted. Yeah. He said all of them. And so I, I think there's, there's some relief in knowing that these people who actually experience death, if you will, they their experience of it was, why'd you bring me back? I mean, that was kick ass. Yes. yes. <laughs> and as they recount to their family, then I think they, he said, you follow up with those people and they are not afraid of death at all. As a matter of fact, it's the e-ticket. They are ready to go whenever it's their time. <laughs> Well, this has been a great conversation and I've learned a lot from you. I'm curious to know what I could have asked you that I didn't know to ask you, or if there's something else you would like to share with our listeners before we wrap it up. Today. I, I am so grateful for all of your questions, Annie. You asked everything 
that I wanted to share, quite frankly, everything. Okay. And it just that it would be my honor to speak more in um, personally with anyone who might be interested in hearing more about what he or she is walking through right now. And that the beauty of this program is something I'm so proud at this time in our culture. Oh my goodness, with so much loss happening every day to be able to offer because it's such a incredible gift. So thank you so much for the You're invitation welcome. to be with you. I really appreciate your time today. And for our listeners, I'm going to put the contact information for Leslie, her website, also the grieving, um, a grief recovery method website and the link to get the book. So you'll have access to those resources. And I, even though Leslie's located on the West Coast, she can talk to anyone in the world because you can do a lot of these conversations via Zoom, like we're doing, or digital, some digital format of some sort. Is that correct? So anybody that's yes. interested in yes. getting that, in touch and having a conversation exactly with you, yes. yes, and they can set up a chat with you through your website. Y yes, they can. Okay, they can. There's a contact page on each page of my website, and the website might have some uh, really wonderful stories for any of the listeners to read as well because there's some special stories that we did not share today that are on it yeah i've read through those that's, that's right for there, sure there is there is one last thing i would love to share with you sure. do we have time for yeah absolutely let's do it um when i said that there were two more losses this came to me to want to share with you because of what you shared about the people who have passed and dr bush's comments about the other side. One of those two other losses that is on my heart right now is of a lovely friend of mine from my hot yoga passion. And uh, Claire passed with um, a heart issue just less than two weeks ago. And she was young, like 57. And when I heard this in yoga just a week ago, I was so distraught because I love this woman and I haven't seen, I, we only met in class and you know how sometimes our lives are compartmentalized and we see people where we work out or not outside of it and that's where we met. And so I sat with it for a few days and I thought, you know, it's not enough for me to reach out to her beloved husband and her son and express my condolences. I wanted to do something that involved, as we're speaking in this hour, of community. And so many people loved her at yoga. So what I have worked on in the last several days to make happen that I feel so much lighter at heart now about for her is we're going to have a uh, hot yoga um, challenge, 12.30 till two in two weeks on a Sunday, led by her, one of her favorite teachers in the honor of celebrating her life during that yoga class. And then those of us who knew, liked, or loved her are going to sit around on our mats afterwards and tell stories about how we loved her. That's great. And because always memorial services have been more traditional, mm -hmm. I feel so elated about the way we're doing this to honor her and the community that she loved the most, which was hot yoga and sweating and having a great time doing it. And so those of us who know and loved her are looking forward to just being together to talk about her life at that time. I and love my that. Point is, me too, just to celebrate someone's life in the way that they love life the most. 
Yeah, I love that so much. One, one of the things I teach in the Lines in the Sand class that I offer to folks is I, I have us all go through and plan our own celebration of life. And so love at it. your party, you get, you get to have a party thrown for you just like you want it. And one of the things I want to do for mine is I want people to do a full-on roast. I want them to laugh and make fun <laughs> and remember the goofy things and the really stupid things I did and all that stuff because that's why it's a celebration of life you know I don't I don't think that anyone wants to sit on the other side and watch a dark dank broken which I get it hearts get broken when there's loss but the the people who are watching this want you to have some elation and celebration and memory of the good times with them so I love that you're going to do that sounds like a great time to me we are so cut from the same cloth, Annie. And in the poster that I created for her, the title of it is Celebration of Life. Oh, good. <laughs> Very cool. No surprise. Yeah, no so, Yes. It's That's great. Be well, um, all the best to you as you go through that with Thank your you. friends who remember Claire. And thanks again. Thank I really you. appreciate your time today. I will make sure that all you listeners get this information so you can follow up with Leslie and... Uh, um, get some help if you need it. Get some support if you need it. Be well with your time. Thank you, Annie. All right. Take Thank care. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye-bye. That's a wrap on this episode of the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast, where we focus on creating a life that we love. And until we meet again, stay true and be you.